when as impossible ever stopped. Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty too. But since when as impossible ever stopped. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Verses 22, 23, and 26. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. 
rejoicing that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Woe to you when anyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Amen. Thank you, Gita. I wanted to again thank everybody uh, for those of you who've been praying for my wife, Courtney. Um, she is back down in the hospital in San Francisco. Um, they are hopefully going to finally resolve everything that she's been hoping to get resolved. Um, and I will be going down after service to pick her up later. Uh, my girls have been staying down with some friends in Sacramento. And it was funny when I went to go over my notes this morning to kind of refresh myself and get ready for service. I found this on page two of my notes. And if you can't see, if you look this way, these are my notes printed out, but it's on a coloring sheet with a bear. At some point during our time at home, they had put this sheet in with a bunch of other blank sheets, and we just took them and put them in the printer, and I printed it out real quick. So it was kind of funny to get us like, well, my family's not here with me, but here they are. So girls never let me forget who's really in charge sometimes. So I'm so thankful, like I said, to be here in front of you all um, and to share this message with you today. It's definitely a calling that God has placed on my life and the giftings that God has given me has brought me here. There are other things I have tried for jobs in my life and it has not worked out so well. Um, I would have made a horrible salesman. I am not a very good salesman. At the core of who I am, I'm a peacemaker. I like to just make the waves go away, solve problems, bring people together, make everybody feel good. And from a salesperson aspect, if I walked up and said, hey, like, I have this thing I'd like you to buy. Like, are you interested? And they said, no, no, I'm good. And be like, okay. That's great. I don't have that, like, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to make waves. Let's not make this awkward. Let's just move on. So when I read these verses today, and even as I heard Gita read them, I'm like, oh, this is awkward. This is, this is a hard one. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. I'm blessed when people don't like me? I'm supposed to rejoice and jump for joy when people reject me? And then, if that wasn't already bad enough, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But I want people to like me. I want people to speak well of me, right? I don't want anyone to be mad at me. If we haven't already picked on, a, on it up yet in this series, what we perceive to be good and right in the world, Jesus is telling us here that that's not always what's good and right. We are not truly blessed according to what the world says might be blessed. And we really need to shift our viewpoint to what Jesus and God say are blessed, are righteous, and are just. 
Often those who are outside of what we might consider blessing or blessed are often closer to really the blessings that God wants to offer. And we can learn from those situations. Like we've already learned, the poor, blessed. The hungry, blessed. And today, the hated and the outcasts are blessed. One of the commentators, as I was studying for this message, said, What unites those addressed in the Beatitudes and pronounced blessed is this, that they are driven to the very end of the world and its possibilities. They are driven to the very end of their means, to the very end of what they feel like they need to live in the world. And once there, once at that moment, at the end of everything, is when we truly have to lean into Jesus. To lean in, to trust God, to take him at his word, and to apply that to our lives. Because at that moment, there's really no other option that we have. And so today, going through this series, it's these hard teachings that invite us, like the series is titled, to lean in. Man, Jesus, do you, does, what does this really mean? How can I grow? What are you inviting me into? And so today for kind of the main idea that I'd like to communicate is, is if we seek the blessing and applause of people now, we may miss the blessings God is offering to us through Jesus, both now and in the future. So like I did last time I spoke, let's start with the bad news. Woe. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is a tough verse for a pastor like me to wrestle with. Like I said, I, I, I want to be liked. I want you to like me and to like what I say. We want our churches to feel comfortable and, and welcoming. I mean, that's good that we can come in and we have a welcoming space and happy people to shake your hand and feel good about who you are. We want to hear, I would like to hear that messages I give are, are good and that you're moved by them. I hope you're listening and paying attention. Wink, wink. We want to be liked. We want people to speak well of us. Pastors want to be noted for who we are and the work that we put in. I want to be a good leader. But this verse seems to be suggesting that if all I hear are the good things, how great I am, how awesome I am, how nice I am, something might be up. There might be something else going on. Maybe I'm placing my hope and identity where it shouldn't be. Now, I'm not going to invite people after service to line up and tell me all the bad stuff I said today or all the bad stuff I've done in the past. I'm sure I want to invite that. But there is this deceptive temptation in only hearing applause and good things all the time. It feels really good. But it's not challenging. Either I'm only telling people what they want to hear, right? If all I'm hearing the good stuff, I'm just responding to what people want to hear. Tell me the good things. Make it nice. Micah, the prophet, um, calls out the Israelites for this in chapter 2. He says, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. If I come before you and just say, I'm going to give you all the good things. I'm going to give you all this nice stuff. Do all this, give you all the things that make you feel good. 
In reality, that's kind of deceptive. Because that's not how life works all the time. I may even be tempted to adjust my messages because it feels better to make people happy. I like seeing smiling faces. I like people shaking my hand on the way out saying, good message that really made me feel good. I want people to like me. I want to get attention. It feels good. Or if I'm not adjusting my message, maybe I'm just putting myself in a space where I'm not able to hear those honest and constructive critiques. Maybe I've ignored or removed those people from my life. And they make me feel uncomfortable. Eh, just don't talk to me anymore. Or I'm going to go over here and hang out with these people more because they, they make me feel better. Isaiah, the prophet, calls out the Israelites as well in chapter, chapter 30. He says, For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction, he says. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy to us illusions. Tell us pleasant things. The literal word that the Hebrew uses in that is tell us slippery things. Tell us things that are smooth, that might not grate us the wrong way. Don't give us the truth all the time. And I think in our current space, our current culture, in our current world, it is so easy to fall into the space where all we're hearing are nice, easy, good, comfortable things. Turn on the TV. They want you to watch that forever. So they're going to show you things that you want to see. Go on Facebook. It's going to show you things that you want to see. And that might just be cats and cute pictures of babies, because that's what you've liked and that's what you've looked at more. But it will figure out real quick what you spend your time looking at, what you spend your time talking about, what you spend your time focusing on. And if that falls into one very specific space, that is all you're going to see. And you're going to fall into what this verse is trying to encourage you out of. That you're only hearing the applause and good things. You're not being challenged. Sure, we all have our preferences and leanings. But we know the importance of having a balanced diet, right? The fancy phrase for this is called an echo chamber. It can feel nice when we're only hearing what encourages us, what fits our narrative, what we think is right, and the ideas that we support. It's like a warm, comforting blanket. I don't know if any of you have fallen, have gotten one of those like weighted blankets. I love the weighted blankets. It just like holds you down like a big hug. We can fall into what Jesus is trying to warn us about here in this woe. Remember, the woe is not like you're going to be punished just because you feel this way. It's a warning. Look out. If you keep going down this direction, it's going to be painful. If everyone and everything around you is telling you that you're right because that is what you want to hear, that's what you like, you're going to miss out on the truth that God wants you to see. And sometimes it might not feel good, like this verse initially. I need to do this regularly, often. I need to get out of the spaces where I suddenly start to realize, man, everything I'm hearing is agreeing with me. 
Everybody on Facebook is just telling me what I want to hear and showing me what I want to see. I'm only reading from this specific set of pastors or teachers. I need to hear something different. And that requires work. I need to step out of that. I need to take the initiative to find other views, to listen, to try to understand, and not just necessarily agree with all the time, but be able to say, like, I read that. I see that. I can understand where they're coming from. I disagree, and here's why. And not just say, I disagree. You're a stupid person. You don't agree with me. I need to be constructively challenged. I need to think about what I'm saying, what I believe, and what I preach, and not just be carrying away, chasing after applause and praise. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, says, This last woe is intended to correct ambition, for nothing is more common than to seek the applauses of men, or at least to be carried away by them. And in order to guard his disciples against such a course, he points out to them that the favor of men would prove to be their ruin. If all we're doing is looking for people to applaud us, affirm us, agree with us, support what we think, and we suddenly realize we're surrounded with applause, we're following the path of the false prophets from the Old Testament and before, only telling people what they wanted to hear and not challenging them like Micah and like Isaiah. We're going to miss out on the true message and the greater blessings that God is trying to offer us amidst the roar of the crowd, the roar of the world, and the roar of the people outside. So what's the alternative? What's the good news? Doesn't feel so good when I read it, but let's go through it. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. And reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. John Calvin also says in his commentary, We cannot be Christ's soldiers on any other condition than to have the greater part of the world rising in hostility against us and pursuing us even to death. The state of the matter is this. Satan, the prince of the world, will never cease to fill his followers with rage to carry on hostilities against the members of Christ. This is the good news? Yeah. This is the good news. And this theme has even appeared earlier in the gospel. The Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, when he was mute and then he finally said, that his name is going to be John. He sang this great song in Luke chapter 1, proclaiming the promises of God and what God is now revealing to be doing through his son John. He says that God's goal is to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. In this song of Zechariah and what Jesus is telling us, he is acknowledging that, sure, there are enemies out there. There are people who will hate you because you are here today. There are people who will hate you because you go out and do good things and you want to follow Jesus. And as long as we try to do that, we're always going to have people assailing us. But we can still have hope. We can have hope amidst that, even though that looks like a not blessed state to the world. We have hope in our identity and who we 
follow. No matter what happens to us, no matter how others treat us on account of our identity in Jesus, the Savior, the Son of Man, the Messiah, we should have no reason to fear. You can be comforted in the fact that Jesus went through this and was ultimately vindicated. Jesus was rejected by those around him. Sure, there was the crowd that applauded him and followed him and wanted things from him. But as soon as he started teaching hard things, what happened? They threw up their hands and nailed them to a cross. This is one of our big hopes, and even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes, that evil cannot go on forever. Righteousness and justice must ultimately win out because that is how God works. We have a long line of examples of the true prophets in the Old Testament being treated poorly. One of my favorite stories is found in the books, book of 1 Kings. It's this prophet, Micaiah, who you're not going to hear about very often. He was a prophet during the time of Ahab. And at the time, Ahab was looking to go to war with another nation. And he brought in these 400 other prophets who agreed with them all the time. And he said, hey, what's going to happen? Prophesy. Tell me what's going to happen. What's God saying? And all those 400 prophets said, you're going to do great. Go fight. God will give you the victory. And somebody else who he was allied with said, is there anybody else? Can we maybe get a second opinion? And Ahab said, well, there's this other guy, but I don't like him. He always tells me bad stuff. He never prophesies good things. He said, well, let's get that guy and let's see what he says. And this is the prophet Micaiah. And at first he says, yeah, yeah, you're going to do fine. Go, go fight. You'll win. And Ahab says, no, 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 no. Tell me what you really feel. And then he prophesies, nope, you're going to lose. God's going to turn you over. You're not following God. You're not even going to come back to this, this palace. You're not going to make it back home. And Ahab says, I knew it. You always prophesy bad stuff. Go put him in prison. Guess how the story ended? Ahab lost. He died. He never made it back to the palace. There's another story of the prophet Zechariah, not the one uh, who wrote the book of Zechariah, but another prophet in 2 Chronicles. It says, The Spirit of God took possession of Zechariah, son of the priest Jehoiada, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of, God, of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. That sounds like fun. It's good prophecy. But the people conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. They stoned him in the temple because they did not like what he said. And that's the end of the book of Second Chronicles, and we should know that shortly thereafter, the kingdom of Judah was ushered off into exile and taken away because they had transgressed the commandments of the Lord. That's the Old Testament. Just go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, John the Baptist. After John's ministry, it says, with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod locked him up in prison. 
when you say truthful things to people, they're not going to like it. It's going to be hard. And Jesus will soon find himself rejected, insulted, and being cast out. And what led to Jesus ultimately not being liked and people conspiring against him? Just go to the verses that start this chapter we've been going through. Jesus heals a man in front of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. This is the story that comes right before this teaching. Verses 10 through 11 of Luke chapter 6 says, Jesus looked around at all of them, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And if you read the other Gospels, they say how they might kill Jesus. Jesus healed someone. He was doing good for somebody. And that's what led the Pharisees to conspire against him. But I think we shouldn't assume that just because we disagree with somebody that we've been insulted or excluded. Remember what I just said. Jesus began to be plotted against for doing good, for healing somebody. A little disagreement, like I said, can do us good to avoid that echo chamber. Applause can put us in danger of following the whims and wishes of everybody around us. We shouldn't go looking for actively invite this treatment on us to be hated and excluded. Peter, in his uh, letter in chapter 4, writes, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. I love that phrase, mischief maker. Don't just go out and cause mischief and suffer because of that. John Calvin later will say, He who suffers persecution for his own fault may not boast that he is a martyr of Christ. If you suffer for your own account and not Christ, that's, that's not what we're after here, friends. I can stand on the corner with my bullhorn or yell and scream and comment on the internet all day, attracting all the negative attention that I want. And I might feel like I'm being rejected for Christ. But if that's all I do is scream and yell and cause problems because I think I'm telling people what they need to hear, I'm just a mischief maker like Peter says. Any amount of condemnation, critique, and correction we might feel necessary needs to come like the way Jesus did. Sure, Jesus said hard things. We're reading about one of them today. But what did he balance that out with? Overwhelming good. Unimaginable mercy. Grace. Like what God continually offers to each and every one of us. If you're a parent, you know that you can't just yell at your kids and that that'll turn out okay. You got to give them grace. You got to give them mercy. You got to give them something constructive. That's what God does for each and every one of us. And that's what the powers of the world will truly hate when we act out of step with them and offer an overwhelming amounts of love. 
Anytime we do good, following the example of Jesus and on account of the name of Christ, outside of what the world deems as good, we will meet opposition. And like it says, when you do, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. When you meet true opposition, true insults, and you're excluded, rejoice. You are in good and blessed company. Continue to do good. Don't be discouraged. Continue to live for Jesus. Peter also writes in his letter, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Don't give them any reason to say that you're not good. They might not agree with you, but when God shows up, they're going to agree. They're going to figure it out. Ultimately, God will show up and vindicate his followers. He will justify the good that we've been trying to live out our whole lives. And when we're excluded and thrown out on account of following Jesus, God will welcome us in and say, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was, uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to get to go to Israel after I graduated college. And this one thing our leader when I was in Israel did always frustrated me until I really thought about it. We would go out, we'd do a lesson, we'd visit somewhere, and everybody would be moved by what we saw and did and heard. And I would go up, or one of us would go up to the leader, and we'd say, hey, man, thanks. Thanks for taking us here. Like, thanks for teaching us that. And he'd always say, bless God. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm thanking you. He said, bless God. I was like, don't, what? And then I thought about it later. He was just redirecting. It's not about him. It's not about me. Bless God. Take the focus off of yourself. Do good on account of the Son of Man, like this verse says. Doing good like God has done for us. Get out of our self-congratulating, self-affirming, self-applausing echo chambers so that we might hear what God is actually revealing to us. Healing and offering unimaginable mercy like Jesus and God has done for us. This will truly drive the world crazy. Daryl Bach, a big commentator on the book of Luke, says, The first three Beatitudes address the condition of Jesus' disciples. Hunger being poor. While this final beatitude lists the fate of the rea- or the reaction that they face, commitment to God's unique representative often produces such a reaction, but God promises to respond to those committed to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. So hopefully you've seen today that if we seek the blessing and applause of people now, we may miss the blessings God is offering to us through Jesus, both now and in the future. Amen.